Thanks for tuning in to the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast, a podcast from Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, where, through the Entrepreneurship and Sustainability Program, we are building into the entrepreneurs of the future. I'm your host, Stephen Carter. Today's guest and today's topic are quite special to me because, as many of you know, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy has a student-run coffee bar called The Leaning Eagle. The Leaning Eagle has been in operation for about six years or so, and it has experienced all kinds of amazing growth. It has even spun off into an opportunity at our 7-8 building called the Mini Cup. But along the way, like any business, there have been hiccups. There have been times where we had to pivot, times where we had to rethink our approach, redefine our why. And as a student-run business, it exists first and foremost to educate students on the very nature of managing a business, of how to become an entrepreneur in today's society. Well, today's guest did just that. Christine Sandoval opened, founded, ran, and really brought to fruition Cocoon Coffee in Mason, Ohio. And as Christine tells her journey today, she'll talk about all kinds of topics related to the entrepreneurship struggle and the grind. But what you really hear is her passion, her passion for the subject, her passion for the business, her passion for coffee, which in many ways reminded me of some of my experiences early on where I had tried a single origin coffee as a pour over for the first time and just had this eye-opening moment where it's like, wow, this this is what coffee actually tastes like. And if it really is good coffee, you don't need to ruin it with sugar. And Christine talks about that, but what really comes across in her talk is her passion for people for relationships, her understanding that she needs to build into her team, but also that she needs to build into her customers. And that, I think, is what makes this talk so vital, really for someone in any walk of life, whether you are a student just beginning in concepts of entrepreneurship, whether you are someone who's considering starting his or her own business, or whether you're someone who's already engaged in an industry of some sort, but just need to learn more about focusing and finding that area where you can truly create excellence. So check out today's episode, and I think that no matter your walk of life, you will find aspects that are interesting and applicable to you. Joining me today is Christine Sandoval. Christine is the owner of Cocoon Coffee in Mason, Ohio. Christine, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me here, Stephen. So I'm really excited about this conversation. As many of our listeners know, we have a coffee bar called The Leaning Eagle at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, and we've been in operation for about six years or so. And it's been a learning experience for all of us. And I'm excited to talk to you because you are in the business starting something from scratch, and you sort of have that insider perspective. So really, without further ado, I'm curious, could you tell us just a little bit of the story, a little bit maybe of the background? I mean, why a coffee shop? Why Mason? Why the concept? Yes, absolutely. And happy to share. So I used to work at P&G in Mason, and I had this vision that I was going to work for P&G for a very long time. At night, I was taking my MBA from Xavier University. So my schedule was pretty packed. Um, but from a life perspective, 
my husband and I actually at that time were in a long distance marriage. And I was um, in Mason renting an apartment, trying to study. And there was very few options at that time. This was 2016 to study, to spread out, to just have this this place that you could concentrate and have a good cup of coffee. Simultaneously, I was visiting my in-laws in Portland, Oregon, the land of specialty coffee, where almost every block have two specialty coffees. And I wasn't actually a specialty coffee person to start. I liked anything with sweets. And if you gave me black coffee, that would have been a disaster. But my husband had told me, you have to go, you have to try this place. It was one of the roasters that started this really focus on direct trade and partnering with producers all over the world um, and basically doing good with business. And to top that off, the quality that we will get was great. So I tried it and I said, well, did you add anything here? And the barista said, no, ma'am, I just asked you and you said you didn't like coffee the way it is black. And so I picked you the Ethiopian coffee that has blueberry undertones. And I was like, what undertones? I heard that about wine and I'm not even a wine connoisseur, so I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so I really got interested and intrigued in it. And so um, it was also out of a frustration from um, this one coffee place that I was going to. I didn't have the coffee that now I have been introduced to that I could get. And the service was not there. I wanted to come to that place to feel welcomed, to feel like I can achieve something in my time there and productive. And so I just told my husband, you know, if we ever got the opportunity to have our own coffee shop, I'd do it something different. And then like really backstory, when I was growing up in the Philippines, uh, my grandmother owned a coffee shop and I helped her, you know, during summer school, just assisted her. And there I learned from her all about customer service and the importance of treating people as human beings deserving of dignity. So I know these are really high values and you're like, what? A coffee shop? <laughs> it's so crazy. But what it was for me, it became this faith journey because um, initially I really wanted to grow and I had this idea of growing myself through a triathlon. I don't know why, but it seemed so scary. And so I was looking for something scary, something meaningful that would help me grow. And then it dawned on me, like this would be the ultimate test of my character, test of my faith, the one that would push me and challenge me. And so I went and launched into this journey that I did not know what to expect and what to do. And I would say before we even get any deeper to it, four years out of it now, I would say it taught me more about life, more about career, more about leadership, more about business than any of my degrees. I have a doctorate in pharmacy. I have a master's in business administration. Um, I've been in corporate for 10 years and nothing compares to the learning that I have had than starting something from scratch only because it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing story. You, you know, like you said, you have, you have a doctor in, in pharmacy. 
Okay. You're, I mean, Dr. Sandoval and, and you decide, you decide, you know what, you know, um, all this education that I've had, all these experiences I've had, it was starting a business that really taught you the most. And you described like the brutal, the grind and, and all of this. I mean, why, why'd you do that to yourself? I did not know. <laughs> and I think there's a piece of that as an entrepreneur that you want to embrace when you're starting in the journey and don't want to lose. Because when you don't know the grind, you go into it and you test it out and you just take every day as all you have. And then you wake up the next day and try it again and don't give up every single day. Because if I had known that this was going to be the road that I was going to be signing up on, I would have been, yeah, mm, no, I'd li- I like my comfortable <laughs> lifestyle. I like my, yeah, I like my, my, my peace at night. But the thing was, it was temporary. I had to learn certain characters and certain mindsets. I had to renew my mind in a way to make it stronger such that at some point, now I'm four years out of it, I no longer have the same anxiety that was born out of being a first-time founder. Now, this is really interesting to me because often when I talk with entrepreneurs or when I read stories about entrepreneurs, especially in situations like yours, where it begins with a passion, an interest, you know, with with you, it it was coffee, you were experiencing coffee, you were getting into the third wave coffee movement, and you decide, I'm going to start a coffee shop. Often what happens is that becomes a trap. And the entrepreneur starts the, the business, finds out that he or she has to work the business full time, and ends up hating coffee and the business and customers because of the trap, feels overwhelmed, feels like they can't bring on additional help and all this stuff. You're speaking about four years out, and and you're no longer living in Mason, Ohio. How... How did you, I mean, I don't want to use the word escape, but I mean, how did you find the ability to step back as the founder, as the entrepreneur and allow the business to run without your daily presence? I think it was actually a forced blessing for me because what happened was I was working at P&G and I really wanted to make this work both actually at the same time. I wasn't going to give up any one of them because I loved serving and I knew how brutal finances are from a cash flow, cash flow perspective of a business that's starting. And I t- didn't take any outside investors. So I knew I had to figure out how to make it work where I have a full-time job and at the same time doing this entrepreneurial thing full-time. The good thing is I didn't have children at that point. So I always encourage, like, if you don't have a a big, like, you know, thing you have to take care of, that's what made it possible for me. And then the second bit is I read a lot. I mean, you can see my bookshelves. I have a lot of books. I probably like read a thousand um, of books and up. I just keep reading. The biggest thing I've learned from reading you know, I read Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks um, book onward. The biggest thing I've, I've, I've learned, not just from him, but from other business people that have scaled, is that if you ever want to be scaling, you have to understand and, and design your business as if you're not there the next day. Like if you get hit by a bus, hmm. what are the systems, principles, processes, people you have to put in place 
that would allow you to operate the business in the same ethos, in the same vision, in in your standards, the way you envision it, uh, without you being there. Because the truth is, as we have seen in this pandemic and all the unrest, you are not guaranteed your next breath. And I've learned that so early with my mom dying from cancer when I was 10, that I was like, okay, I'm not always going to be here. And I want this to exist, not because of me, but because I wanted to serve the community of Mason. Mason has been good to me when I was there as a resident, and I want to keep giving. I want it to be like my extended living room where people felt welcomed, where people felt warm, no matter where they are in life. I named it Cocoon for that reason, because it represented transformation. I wanted people to come in there and engage in some form of transformational activity, whether it is reading, whether it's studying, whether it is connecting with a person that they just have met or reconnecting with somebody they love. Um, I wanted to be a place of transformation. And so I wanted to exist beyond me. And the key is systems. I tell my team and every person I hire two things that make this work is one, getting clear on what we're all about and what we're not all about. That is what strategy is. It is choice making. And knowing what you're not all about is as important, if not more important, than declaring who you are and what you are about. And so Cocoon, we don't do fraps. We don't do soups. We don't do any heavy food. And that's for purpose. We curate everything so simple because we don't, we, we declared at the very beginning that it's going to be priorities are the three pillars that I say, outstanding coffee, outstanding service, outstanding atmosphere. And I say that all the time and I live that. And when you get clear about who you are from a principal perspective, decision-making follows, policies follows, hiring, retaining, training follows. Um, correction follows, the way we run the business follows. And so I think that's the most important thing. Now, you mentioned that you read a lot and you've learned a lot from these people that you're reading. And um, I I'm curious, are, are you, um, ha have you read Blue Ocean Strategy or, or have you um, thought about, okay, so with Blue Ocean Strategy, this is one of the things we talk a little bit about in some of our business classes is you know, when you're in a business pretty much like yours, you know, you run a coffee shop. I mean, there's, <laughs> that's a pretty red ocean. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of competition out there with coffee shops. I mean, you mentioned Starbucks, which obviously, if you go back to the, you know, the nineties, they started this whole movement toward the coffee shop idea. Then you start seeing other ones pop up in the Cincinnati area. We're pretty closely affiliated with deeper roots and, you know, they've got a couple shops downtown and in Oakley. And I've talked to them before about how difficult it is really to exist in a space where there's so much competition. There's coffee shops all over and they're popping up. They're becoming more popular. You seem to have carved out, and I know it's kind of a leading question in some way, but when you, when you mentioned get clear on what we're all about and you mentioned outstanding coffee service atmosphere, has that created for you that blue ocean concept where you've almost created uncontested waters of your own? Yes. And, and I, I always think, so I, the way I think about it, 
the market, the way I, I interpret the market is that the more coffee shops open that are specialty coffee shops, the better it is for all that are involved. And I know people are like, what? Like some of my friends would, would, would ping me, oh, another coffee shop opened. Are you nervous? I'm like, no, that is wonderful. Why? Why, why do I say that? I say that because of understanding consumer behavior, consumer psychology, what is good for the consumer are choices, variants. Because when we are the only one that in the market that says good coffee is worth the extra buck, good coffee that comes from high altitude, you know, working with producers, roasting a certain way, manual and crafted specifically to you in its simplest but best form, we are going to need a lot of of inorganic ads and we don't have money to pay for inorganic ads. But when there's a lot of specialty coffee that are saying, we are gonna create this, this atmosphere, the only difference you're gonna make is who then are you, right? So you're not trying to create a category, which is so hard. And I, I honestly, I, I know it, it will, will take me more than what I've been doing with Cocoon to create that category, but I don't have to do that, which is actually a great thing. So then how do you dis find your distinctive voice? And that's actually where we decided we're going to have a mixture of seating arrangement where you have tables that have uh, ergonomic chairs for office space. And we're specifically not putting hard to seat where you are wanting to leave after two hours of sitting because not because it's like, oh, is it an oversight? Some people said, is it your oversight because people would stay there longer? I was like, no, because people will enjoy a couple of things from the place, the place where they can read, write, study. And then honestly, it's so hard to focus anyway that, you know, people will, will leave when they want to leave, not because I force them by designing a table that is so cramped that they don't want to stay. And so I was focused more on how do I serve my specific target audience? Who, and who is that specific target audience? And I defined, you know, three different customer profiles, guest profiles. And so I have this profile of a person just like me, who's young professional, doesn't have children yet and wants to really accelerate their career so fast. And so I want this place to be a place where they can sit, focus and find inspiration just being in the atmosphere. And then I wanted it also for the, who I call the weekend warriors, people who have families who wanted to, to uh, gather their family one day, but then the other day they want to do something for themselves. And I wanted it to be that place for them. And then I wanted also for the students who are wanting to, um, whether it is in a group setting or a private setting, study to accelerate their, their, their education. And so those are the three persona profiles that I think about whenever I think of decisions and whenever we designed Cocoon. Like what would make it best for those three? So as you notice, I didn't include people who are like um, uh, road trippers. I didn't include people who, um, who 
you know, love desserts and, and want to have the best cakes and the best bubble tea, although that was considered, that was put forth. It's like, hey, bubble tea is trendy right now. Should you put that there? And I was like, no, that's not who we are, right? And so I think that getting clear on who we serve, why we do what we do, and what we are not going to do because of who we are allows me to simplify and get really good at what we say we were going to do. And, and I and I can say from personal experience, having been to Cocoon Coffee, that that atmosphere that you're describing is exactly that. I've, I've got a couple of colleagues that I work with, and we actually had a book club there, uh, the three of us, uh, multiple times. And wonderful, wonderful atmosphere. But I do have to ask you from, from a business perspective. So the three of us were sitting here for a book club for two hours. And each of us ordered a drink, you know, in the neighborhood of between $4 and $5. So, so right there, you've got a table that's occupied for two hours. You've got three drink purchases. You know, in the restaurant industry, you would have wanted to have a turnover once or twice during that time so that you can keep those profits, keep those sales. If you've got a table dedicated to someone who's working two to three hours and they buy one drink from you, as a business owner, do you ever find that there's a conflict between your desire on the profit loss sheet to have a higher number versus your why about creating an outstanding atmosphere. Do those ever conflict with each other? Absolutely. They conflict and then they also build each other. So it, I know it sounds really like, what, this is paradoxical. She's not saying, the, you know, yes or no. And so I say that from a profit standpoint, I think we can squeeze a lot if we just designed the place to be a place where it's uncomfortable to stay more than two hours, right? Um, I do think we can optimize profits that way. But then we lose our distinctiveness, which means then what is the reason for a person to go all the way there when they could just go to another place that, that, that drives them? So then the question becomes, are you gunning for that extra margin or do you want to exist? And it, it's when existence is a question, that becomes an easy answer. We exist because people found in their mindset that we are different from the pack for X reason. And this happened to be the one that costs us, you know, some margin. Um, but we exist. And, and the other thing too is you have to also understand we have a drive-through. So it's like a the mix of volume compensates the losses that you have in one area of your business. Now, when it comes down to just the overall big picture of this and in the direction that you've taken, you've communicated a very clear why. You know the why for Cocoon Coffee. I mean, it comes even down to the name that you named it. But how do you ensure that that why is communicated to everybody working at Cocoon Coffee effectively. I mean, in other words, um, you know, I, I've read multiple times that the entrepreneur, the, the founder, the CEO has to communicate the vision or the why over and over and over and over again. But, you know, as you said, you're not, you're not currently living in Mason. You're not visiting this every day. What measures, as you said earlier, what systems have you put in place to ensure that that customer who walks in is going to experience the why regardless who is working that day? It has to come down to leadership and leadership, as John Maxwell says, nothing more than influence. And it starts with your hiring process. So 
When I hire the team, I often say to the person that's interviewing that this is a date. Our first interview is a date because we're trying to find a fit. It's not because you're, you're, you know, you have something wrong with you or, or I have something wrong with me. It's just, we're trying to figure out if the puzzle will work for us. And the one thing that I am so grateful I learned early without having to um, learn it the hard way is to hire attitude over skill because skill you can teach over training in a few weeks, but attitude is going to be absolutely difficult. I tell the persons, you know, my team or the people that I haven't hired, but interviewed, it's like, it's that, that is hard. I just, you know, it will take me a lifetime. And so we're not in the business of, of, of converting people's attitudes during the time that you work there. So I've, I, I do that. That's the first pass. And then the second bit is I communicate clearly the expectations and the managers that rise up to take over the day-to-day operations, they embody this on their own. So they become the walking, breathing, talking uh, people that have this role modeling. And then the team feels like a team, even if they're not talking to, you know, our, our shifts are like one to two person per shift. So it's not like the entire team gets to see each other and work with each other. But the way I, I, I organize the thing is, and I tell the team, what, what you do in your shift either sets up the next person, your teammate, for success or failure. And we just have a level of tolerance that is tight, that if that behavior keeps repeating, then it, it affects your teammate. And I'm people over anything else because I know that it, it uh, is a funnel. When you prioritize your team and the culture is healthy, it radiates. I don't have to tell them exactly what to do. And that's true whether I'm there or not there. Because an owner that is um, the trust, the people, and gives that, that spirit to them by way of, of instruction and correction, timely correction and, and constructive feedback will allow that person to go and thrive more than them. So I'm actually grateful I'm not there because I would have limited the growth of Cocoon. The things that the past and present managers have done and the team have done to make the place better is far more than what I've imagined because I am one human, but as a team with their creative skills, with their being in touch with the people and their generation, it uplifts the space and I'm so grateful for them. And I wouldn't be able to do anything and serve any, the community without them for sure. Well, this is definitely wonderful advice to anybody who is leading and trying to build a team Many of our listeners are students, students who are going to be in the next year to five years interviewing for a variety of jobs. They're going to be going out and they're going to be, you know, essentially sitting down and trying to attain a position. And your your line of your hiring attitude over skill, could you just give us some insider tips as someone who conducts interviews, who hires these people, you're looking for attitude. So 
How does someone in an interview demonstrate that positive attitude or that quality that you're looking for? What, what, what can they do to make that shine? It's actually behavior. So if you understand that behaviors are derivatives of attitude, you don't ask, are you happy? Are you positive? No, th those are not the things that you would do because one, how can a person actually answer that question? It's, it's quite tough and challenging. Am I happy? I don't know. Today I may not be because I'm nervous talking to you, but maybe tomorrow I will be when this is done and you give me a job, right? <laughs> and so we're not asking for conditions. What I'm looking for is behavior that they've already done before. So questions, um, preparing for questions such as, tell me about a time when this scenario had happened, like you didn't know what to do with a, uh, you know, a, a, problem and someone else you disagreed with and but yet you have this deadline or yet you have to do this task how did you go about it can you tell me your thought process can you tell me and then it comes through the story because you can see authenticity based on the details that they provide if they say oh this is what i did okay tell me about it more and i actually ask people a lot about unrelated things than coffee so I ask them about their hobbies and how do they show up with something they're passionate about? How do they show up when it's not fun, when, it's, when they're tired and they're exhausted? How, how do you show up in the past determines how you would show up in the future unless an outside force changes that, right? Um, it's the Newton's law. And so I always look at things from a first principles perspective, like in physics, you have first principles. And then that's how I make my hiring decisions. And, and that's how I interview people. And it sounds like a lot of what you do is also guided by the principles and values that drive you. Earlier in the conversation, you had talked about how these values were values that you had picked up on along the way and derived an importance from. And you mentioned your experience in, in Portland where you were trying this coffee and it was really kind of this moment of realizing that there's this direct trade out there. There's this opportunity to get a cup of coffee that's not just excellent, but that also has a story, coffee that is really more or less more ethical or more sustainable than, say, another option. And this reminds me a little bit of, of some conversations I've had around the term conscious capitalist. And how really it's about understanding the ethical nature of what you're doing, even sometimes to um, a detriment on the profit side. I mean, if, if at Cocoon Coffee, you were serving coffee that, say, wasn't direct trade, you could probably get it a lot cheaper. You would have a bigger profit margin. And I'm sure at some point people have had that conversation with you. You know, if we just source this differently, we would be able to have a, you know, make more money in the bottom line. But yet you also seem to be driven by doing the right thing for your customers, for your employees. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience, how the value piece of this is important in your own journey as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. The, I am a firm believer in capitalism, and it's difficult for people who were probably similar to my background where it's almost like you can only do good if you were a nonprofit and yes nonprofits do great things and for me I strongly believe in capitalism as an avenue and a channel and a vessel for 
sustainable, long-term doing good because there's an engine that is self-sustaining, an enterprise that you don't have to depend on an outside force to continue for it to continue to move. You're depending on, am I making the value that the market wants and you're willing to pay for? And then that thing circulates and circulates and it's in the manner of your delivery of that value that then changes it from using capitalism for evil than using it for good. So it's almost like any other superpower. The, the, the thing about superpower is it's so strong but depending on how you're going to use it, you can literally either kill and annihilate a population or save the world, right? And I'm saying that because I think the engine of business and entrepreneurship is a superpower. You can use it for good and you can use it for evil. And so to me, when I think about the value stream, I think of it as not everything should be done. So what are the things that have this intersection of the market cares about it? It's not fluffery, I would say, right? They're willing to pay for it because they're experiencing a 10x value, a 2x value versus any other thing that they could get. And so you have to really work on value reframing. So I say we're not delivering just coffee. We're delivering an experience that allows you to win your bravest conquests in life. And what is the price of that? Right? So I think about it, oh my goodness, I was trying to get my MBA, doing a business model at night and then at the weekends and then doing my full-time job. And this place would allow me to be all that I can be. What's the price for that? <laughs> get my money, like give it, you know, because because the value have been reframed for me. And I believe that's what business needs to do in order to, to not have this forever tension of, am I doing the right thing, but I'm not making money. It's to reframe the value. Who are you serving? And what is it that they need that you can create a solution for and package it that way so they don't have to interpret it for you? You're basically, your packaging of your value is so important because a person who may have been thinking about this box, just another you know, parallel, if you didn't tell that this box is used to hold you know, your electronics specifically, then they would be like, why am I paying this box? But if you told them, oh, this box that I created with, with focus attention, I specifically created and crafted it for you for this purpose. And so it's like, oh, that's for my electronics. And my electronics, like this thing, is costs me 300 bucks. I'll pay 30 bucks. These exact same box that you could buy for $3 somewhere else. But it is the value reframing that allows the business to continue to do good and the consumer to feel like they're not being undercut or, or slighted. You know, a lot of what you just described there, you're, you're really creating this image of the customer as the hero. And this is, this is something that I know Donald, Donald Miller in his Building a Story brand is really big about. Okay, so you're a Donald Miller fan. Yes. Um, he, he talks about how really, you know, as a business, so often many businesses posit themselves as the hero. You know, we're here to save your day. 
What you are doing is positing the business as a guide to help the customer live that heroic journey. And that that obviously has been a key to much of the success that you've experienced. So let me let me throw this out there as as we as we start to to wrap this up. Um, you then uh, all this is is going well. You know, customers hero. You're creating these experiences and all this. Then COVID happens, and much like all other industries, you have to pivot. Now, Cocoon Coffee has survived COVID. So, what did you do specifically to pivot during that time when so many others were struggling or you know not able to make ends meet? That's a good question because it was so, it's still fresh. We're still living it. So I don't think I could say with certainty that oh, we're, we're going to thrive. Like that's it. Right. Although I say that for certainty because of my belief, but not because I see it already in reality. I think that the biggest thing for me as a business owner, and I know this is not something that many can quickly get to mindset wise, for me, I exist because I serve, I not, I'm saying I, but I mean, say Cocoon. Cocoon serves a unique position in the market that, that delivers services and value that others may not deliver. That essence and that place that, that was carved out specifically for those three types of people that need need to do something transformation in their lives. They have this place that they can go to. If that's no longer needed, the market will tell me and I will have to say, well, you know, what else can we do to serve the newly changed, um, the newly changed needs? But the truth is, whether it's an up cycle or down cycle, people need to win their challenges in life. And Cocoon is a place that is from a mindset perspective. You go there because you are determined that I'm not just going to sit in my living room and try to get through. I'm going to focus. And in my focus, I'm going to Cocoon. I'm going to get that coffee. I'm going to sit there because I'm paying something. I'm going, I'm physically paying not only money, but my time. And I'm telling myself, I'm going to make this happen. And so when you think of it that way, Cocoon will last its lifetime because humans will always need to win. And so really, your answer is that by sticking true to your vision, the vision does not change. Circumstances may change. You'll have to pivot along the way. You might have to alter a couple different things, but the vision remains the same. And that's what that's what keeps it going. Absolutely. And then the tactical perspective of it is what you try to, to puzzle with my managers like, oh, we have to do this to do that, you know, and you just have to rest. Okay, is have we done everything that we could do to make this place what we think it could be? And if the answer is yes, then hands off, just do what we can do, do it the best we could. And if the answer is no, then execute on it. What else? What else? I always ask that question to myself, to my team. Anything else that we can do to make this more smooth for our consumers, our guests? Can, can we make it richer with this end in mind where we're, we're trying to foster this environment and we, we stand for good coffee and good community at the end of the day, the outward of it, but the inward of it is we're trying to help them because community and coffee will help them get that inspiration jolt of focus that they need to get through. 
you know, is there anything else that we can do, whether COVID or not? But COVID really catalyzed that because then you really have to get to the bottom of anything else. And I think our business was, I would say, set up to survive. To thrive is a question mark still because we're still in the middle of it. But to survive only because we didn't have fluff to begin with. We operated quite lean from the start. Our inventory is so lean. Our systems are, you know, I, I believe in this um, Japanese term called Kaizen. It's improvement one bit at a time. And I always share this and I, 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 um, I ask my team to live this, which is progress over perfection. Because perfection is dangerous and toxic, but progress keeps you moving forward. And as long as you move forward, at some point, you're going to get somewhere good. I love that. <laughs> that. That's wonderful. Progress over perfection. Keep moving and you're going to, you're going to get somewhere good. Uh, Christine, let me, let me ask you, I, I've asked this to a lot of our podcast guests. If you had a chance to reflect and, and go back and, and you are talking to uh, the Christine of you know, four or five years ago, this is, this is as that idea is percolating in your mind of what if I started a coffee shop? What's a piece of advice or maybe a warning or a suggestion? What's something you would have said to yourself those years ago to help ease the process, to, to help, you know, make it uh, a, an, an easier overall experience for you? Absolutely. And, and I think about that a lot. Three <laughs> things. One, ask for help. It was so hard for somebody like me, my personality, to ask for help. I remember this one time I bought a dining set that's made of solid wood from Costco to take to, co to Cocoon. And I should have asked for help because I am not strong. Like that thing is heavy. And I did it anyway. And I got stuck in the middle of the street with the top, <laughs> the top of this table, not knowing if I would ever actually going to be able to cross because why am I doing this by myself? And so the first thing was, is ask for help. Second bit is don't panic because it's going to get rough before it got, it's going to get better. It's going to have a lot it will teach you so much by way of oh so i'm still super sensitive but i think cocoon helped me put things in perspective when i got my first low rating from a from a guest i was hurt like the first 10 reviews i was really having this sort of like anxiety type of situation where i'm so nervous what they would say because i cared so much about my performance and I am such an excellent seeker, pursuer, chaser kind of person that anything less than excellent hurt me to my like flesh, like all the way down. It hurt so badly. I thought I couldn't do it because I just couldn't handle anything less than excellent. And so I learned and I will tell that person, my older, my younger self to don't panic, stay the course. Get grounded, breathe, fill your brain and your mind with truths and of who you are and why you're called to do this and keep going. And then the third bit is do not sacrifice your relationships or your well-being. 
I was at a point where I was so focused on making Cocoon as great as I feel like it could be that I was not showing up for anyone else. <laughs> not my husband, not my dad, not my siblings. I was there. I remembered it was probably Christmas and Thanksgiving. I didn't even go anywhere. I was just there working, working, working. And then my husband, my siblings, I think they did this, this intervention thing <laughs> on me and said, I think we need to eat. And that was the time that I just realized how, how much I forgot about what truly matters in life, which is your relationships and your health, that I put something that I loved that was, you know, the cocoon before all of that. And that almost costed me both my relationships and my health. Um, and so if I were to tell my younger self, it would be those three. And that is fantastic advice really to our listeners in any walk of life to, uh, you know, really focus on and kind of center yourself and remind yourself of what truly is important in life, those relationships, your health and your family and so on. Well, Christine, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I, I do truly thank you for your time uh, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Wow. So I, I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Christine has a vision. Christine articulates that vision, that purpose, that why to her team members, and because of that, is able to create an opportunity where customers can live their heroic journey and find their best selves while experiencing, in her own words, that outstanding coffee, that outstanding service, and that outstanding atmosphere. I mean, imagine if all business owners took that mantra, whatever their product, to really focus on creating an outstanding experience and then actually do that for their customers. Well, this has been a wonderful opportunity to talk with Christine, and I do hope that you enjoyed it. I also want to mention that as our entrepreneurship and sustainability program at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy grows and continues to experience exciting growth, in fact, we've added CHCA Eagle Farms, which is an e-commerce opportunity to sell produce grown directly at the school. And we're also building out our CHCA Teaching Kitchen to add all sorts of new ventures and opportunities to our entrepreneurship program. We're also now creating sponsorship opportunities wherein companies, individuals can sponsor the program and in many ways embrace this vision that we have of building into entrepreneurs of the future. For more information on that, check out uh, the website chca-oh.org and you can contact me directly, Stephen Carter, stephen.carter at chca-oh.org for more information about that.